podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast with me, Phil Kitchmelides and Sid Lowe. Hello Sydney. Hello Philip, how are you? Not too bad, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. We have just had the first round of fixtures in the second half of the season. It's match day 20, so uh, we are we're now officially over 50% of the way through the season, Sydney. It feels like a milestone. It is a milestone. It's, and it, and, well, I was going to say it's a proper milestone because everyone's played everyone once, but actually there's a few little loose games knocking about, so I'm not sure if that's entirely true. Yeah, that's, I don't that, know if I we've got think through that's that. True. Um, that yeah. would be far too sort of... Uh, nicely um, symmetrical for for La Liga. We, yeah. we we like to have things a little bit a little bit all over the place. Sid, you know that. <laughs> you know that. Um, yes. This is what happened anyway on on the matches that we've had so far in match day twenty on Saturday. It finally happened. Eight months later, the longest winless streak in the history of La Liga ended. Twenty seven matches. Levante had gone without a victory. But they finally beat Mallorca 2-0 on Saturday. They rode their luck. Uh, Mallorca missed a penalty, had two goals ruled out as well. Levante uh, claiming that that vital win. And they're only five points from safety. It's absolutely crazy to have gone uh, 19 games in a season without winning and, and, and still be so close to salvation. Real Sociedad ended their uh, mini winless streak. They'd gone six games uh, without a victory, but they beat Celta Vigo by a goal to nil. Uh, Granada held Barcelona 1-1. For the second time this season, uh, Luke de Jong scoring for the second successive game, but Antonio Puertas thrashing home, uh, finally taken goal uh, in the final minutes to make sure that Granada uh, took all three. Po- um, sorry, to Granada claimed a point. Uh, the game changed when Gabi got sent off, his first sending off. For Barcelona, you, you feel like there might be some more. Uh, <laughs> I was exactly what I was thinking. You were yeah. saying his first thing off. I was thinking, yeah, it won't be his last. It won't be his last. Uh, Real Madrid beating Valencia by four goals to one at the Bernabeu. Two goals for Vinicius, two goals for Benzema. What a pair they are. And they dispatch Valencia pretty comfortably. Then on Sunday, Rayo and Betis played out a 1-1 draw in Vallecas. Rayo still unbeaten at home. Eight wins and two draws uh, at the magnificent Estadio de Vallecas. Sevilla kept up their title push. Uh, they beat Getafe 1-0, their sixth 1-0 win of the season. And they are just five points behind leaders Real Madrid with a game in hand. Alaves nil, Athletic Club nil was a Basque derby played in the absolute pissing rain at the Estadio Mendizorroza. But it wasn't very good. Not much happened. No, it wasn't, uh, no. <laughs> it, it finished nil-nil. Osasuna ended a 10-match winless streak by beating Cadiz 2-0. Cadiz are in all sorts of trouble. They look absolutely awful. Two wins in 20 games. And if it stays like this, they're going down. Uh, Villarreal and Atletico Madrid playing out a really, really entertaining uh, 2-2 draw at the Estadio de la Ceramica on Sunday evening to round off uh, the weekend's fixtures. Monday night sees Espanyol take on Elche. Over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP, we'll have a, a Q&A pod answering all your questions, which is out on Tuesday, as always, and a bonus pod on the Spanish Super Cup semi-finals, which will be out on Friday. We're also starting a brand new series of TSFP Presents, so there's literally never been a better time to become a patron of the Spanish Football <laughs> Podcast. This is it. This is the moment you need to come and join us. More than 1,500 people have done so already. And we've got a nice little Discord going as well. It's a lovely little community. Come and join us. Costs four euros a month. Talking points then. Uh, we're going to start with Real Madrid 4, Valencia 1. Uh, Benicio, uh, 
Benicius. Shall we start calling them that? Yeah, let's call him Benicius. Yeah. No, but the, the two of them together, Benicius. Benicius. Benzema and Vinicius. Benicius. What about what about Vinzema? Vinzema. Between them, they've got twenty nine league goals and eleven assists. Um, there is a somewhat pointless debate, I think, going on in in Spain whether or not they're the most informed duo in Europe, or whether Vinicius is the best player in Europe or whether Benzema is the best player in Europe. We don't watch enough of other leagues to be able to come anywhere close to making an accurate statement on that. What we can say is these two players are pretty much the best players in Spain at the moment. Yeah, I think I think it's the other thing I'm always a bit uneasy about is discussions about are these the best pair in Europe when they're not a pair, they're two of a front three. So it feels it feels a bit like you're kind of willfully ignoring the other part yeah. of this. If you see Although what I mean. they're the they're the main two, aren't they? They are yeah. the two, of course they are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but for example, I mean, let's say for argument's sake, you were comparing them to I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example. Jota and Salah. Well, exactly. Okay, so there you go. Imagine you were comparing them to the front three at Liverpool. Well, which of the front three are you taking out to make it a pair to be able to compare it? It doesn't doesn't really work. But anyway, that's part of why they are both brilliant. And they are both brilliant in slightly different ways. And they are combining ever better because Benzema is, is, is close to Vinicius a lot of the time. He's someone that Vinicius plays off. He's someone that, that releases him, someone that Vinicius looks for. But it tends actually to be Vinicius into Benzema and back again rather than Vinicius into Benzema for Benzema to score. Um, they, they move really well, but in different ways. So, so Vinicius is very direct, very quick, um, runs at people. Benzema is much more about understanding the space and the timing of, of the pass. And they are really, really good. But I must admit, having started with these two, it's still Luka Modric that makes me kind of go, oh, what a player. It's still Modric that I watch and kind of really... Okay, well, that's interesting because of... you, you were there. Uh, you were pitch side as well. So what, what did you see there that, that, that made you sort of swoon... Uh, over Modric again. Well, obviously you've got the shot against the bar. Yes. But the, the thing, the thing about that that was striking, well, is the fact that it was striking. Uh, <laughs> you know, Modric is a player who never ever seems to have to hit the ball hard. Everything he does is kind of is kind of in control and gentle and slow and but slow, not slow in it. I mean, it's all quick. But what I mean is, it, he doesn't seem to be rushing. Mm-hmm. And that was one where he's like, "Wallop, have that!" And it actually felt, like, "Oh, Lucas just kicked a ball hard," and it doesn't sort of normally happen. Uh, it's just the clarity that everything he does is clear. The movement, the the willingness to 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 come short and to kind of help other players out of tight corners where in their trouble and, and, and spread things out um, to kind of carry the ball forward and and, and make the pitch open. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the other thing is sitting pitch side that was, that was really striking. Of course, is is watching someone like. Um, Vinicius run at you and, and run at you in a way that because he's so quick and you, you, you sort of imagine yourself you think if if, um, if I was a if I was a defender I would not want him coming near me mm. I really wouldn't because because he he, he does everything well um, in that he runs at you but he he doesn't go straight at you so he puts you on the back foot and then turns away from you I think Valencia defended him badly Um but he was he was exceptional again. He was uh, his 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 goal when he took it round two defenders was absolutely ridiculous. The way he managed to uh, to do that so quickly in the penalty area, I had to see a replay just to make sure what he'd done. Benzema's fourth goal as well was absolutely brilliant as well, and and the two of them mm. combining very very nicely indeed. Um, Valencia was supposed to put up a bit more of a fight. Yeah, uh, and I thought they played well for about half an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they 
I thought the penalty did them more damage than it should have done. Okay. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, of course, is tactical. This is a team that wanted to be able to play on the break. That wanted to keep possession, but not necessarily feel the need to carry possession up the pitch. Um, that wanted to to be able to go beyond Madrid into the space behind them, in particular, um, Guedes, who was on the left-hand side. And, of course, once you're trailing then in theory you can't do that as much anymore. Although I think that would be uh, to do Madrid a disservice because they then kept the ball in the second half, Madrid, and they, they were completely dominant. I think the other part of it is, is, is psychological. And I was surprised how much of an impact it made on them psychologically to be a goal down. I was surprised that that seemed to hurt them quite so much because I didn't think it needed to. Um, but they were, they were weak from that point of view, Valencia. Yes, it's true they've got a couple of key absentees. I think the absence of uh, Gabriel, who I think has only played, I think it's 10 games of the, or 12 of the 18, so, sorry, 20 now this season. Um, obviously, the absence of Soler, who's been their best player this season, certainly the most productive player in terms of goals and assists. Uh, I think he'd been involved in 35% of the goals that they'd scored this season. That makes a difference. Um, but I thought they were weak. And they, they have shown vulnerability all year. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they've conceded far too many goals. And it, this is the contradiction at the heart of, of Valencia. This is a team that, that we're seeing some of Bordelas' influence. More fouls, more aggressive, uh, higher up the pitch, more in your face, trying to use the ball quicker. But at the same time, they haven't got that Bordelas thing of being defensive stro- defensively strong. Uh, they've, they've conceded, is it 32, 32 goals already this yeah. season? I th- 32. And, and it's... It's well, but put simply, it's too many. Yes, it's one of their worst uh, defensive records at this stage of the season, uh, this century, and it is, um, I'm sure, very concerning for Jose Bordalas, who apparently yesterday was so angry uh, with his players that he uh, he gave a, a very short speech to them uh, in uh, in training, and he usually sits down and analyzes the game with them, and he was apparently too angry to do that. So you know, I'm just I'm just disgusted. I don't even want to look at you. I'm paraphrasing here, but yeah, he wasn't pleased. You mentioned the penalty. There was a penalty. Uh, I guess your perception of whether it was a penalty or not might be uh, coloured by the team you support. That does often uh, happen. Uh, Sid and I have uh, no interest in uh, in either of these uh, sides. Did you think it was a penalty? You know what? I don't, but I don't think it's a really terrible decision. I actually do think it's a penalty. I think there's contact. I think it's yeah. light, and I definitely don't think it's a it's a scandal that it was that it was no, given. Exactly. But yeah, I, I think it's not a penalty in so far as it seems to me that the contact that happens and the thing that sort of the the moment of the trip is created by Casemiro, not by the defender. And I think Casemiro sees the ball's going away from him, and he goes across with his right foot and creates the contact. Mm. That said, there's a couple of different angles that suggest different things. And I don't think it's a particularly outrageous decision one way or the other. I'm, I'm, I'm wary of us always saying, no, we never talk about referees. We don't like and then doing it, referees. yeah, and then we do it. <laughs> the only reason I sort of mentioned it because afterwards, Valencia put out a tweet which has got a lot of traction here in Spain. It got mm. a lot of uh, interaction as well uh, on, on social media, basically saying... Um, how can we how can we translate this? If you've seen Money Heist, you know that it's a series on Netflix about a bank robbery in Madrid, and they made uh, reference to the fact of you know it's a bit boring now. All these robberies in Madrid, hey, Money Heist. Um, I'm really, really, really uncomfortable with these teams constantly doing this now. And we had Real Sociedad do it last week as well. We had Real Betis do it this weekend as well. It's it's getting a little bit. 
uncomfortable. I understand why they're yeah. doing it because they're on a sort of it's a sort of free hit for them, isn't it? The fans are going to be more or less happy because they think, oh, you know, they're standing up for us. This is un- yeah. unacceptable. I, and I must admit, I really hate that attitude from fans. I understand I, it. But I really don't, yeah. don't like it. All right, right. Every now and again, you'll get this, um, you know, with the team that you support and you're supposed to kind of go, oh, good on and they're standing up for us. I always feel like a bit like, do should we really be doing that? Doing yeah. That. Yeah. Um, and, and look, in, 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 uh, the big thing with this Valencia one is the use of the word robbery. Um, because, for example, you can complain about a decision and I actually think you sort of get away with that if it's couched in the right sort of language and you're unhappy about it. Or, you know, remember earlier in the season, Espanyol said something like, we need you to explain the handball to us. Yeah. Which obviously, again, was pointed and it was it was meant as, an, as a moan. But you could sort of, sort of just about say, well, OK, it's kind of all right to ask that. Um, but using the word like robbery isn't. Um, I, funnily enough, actually had a conversation with someone from Valencia on Saturday night about this very thing. Okay. And at this point, I hadn't seen the tweet. And they actually said to me, oh, we're going to get a hit now because, because we've put a tweet out saying it's robbery. And I kind of looked at them and went, oh. <laughs> and I actually said, look, I'll be honest with you. I don't think a club should ever do this. Yeah. I know it's you and, you know, I understand and all the rest of it. I don't think a club should ever do this. Yeah, but it's, of course, everyone does it. And if you don't, when if you don't, nothing happens. Mm. It's no worse because you don't do it. I really don't think, I really, this idea that somehow you've got to keep the pressure on the referee, I, I, I'm not sure a tweet like that really does that. It'd be nice to see a club tweeting when a decision, questionable decision goes in their favour and say, oh, we got a bit of luck today. We got the rub yeah. of the green. Well, this is, the referee this is one us. of the reasons, this <laughs> is one of the reasons why I, why I really like Anessa Valverde. And he did this not just at Barcelona, but he did it, and in fact, he did it more at Athletic. You would ask him about a penalty decision. I mean, I normally wouldn't because I'm not normally that interested. But someone asked me about a penalty decision and he would nearly always say, well, look, it's in their area, so I think it is. If you ask their manager, he'll probably tell you it isn't. And that's fair enough. You know, and, and he, would be, he would be happy to say, well, one went our way hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. And it just doesn't... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, look, I, look, it's human nature. Let's not pretend otherwise. Let's not be kind of overly, overly puritanical about it. Of course you notice when it goes against you. Yeah. Of course you do. That's, that's human nature. But yeah, I, I just sort of feel like clubs... Maybe clubs shouldn't be above that. But I, I feel like clubs should be above that. Okay. Uh, well, they're increasingly not above it. And yeah, Valencia tweeted that after the Real Madrid game, which is why we're talking about referees which we don't usually do uh, let's talk about uh granada one barcelona one uh, danny alves with a his first league start for barcelona for for five years and fitting in very nicely indeed to this barcelona team 38 years young big smile on his face a, a fabulous assist for luke de jong's headed goal a couple of crunching tackles as well and he's going to be very useful isn't he He's going to be massive useful. Danny I mean, Alves bias aside. Yeah, of course, there is a Danny Alves bias, but um, he is going to be useful, partly, of course, because they don't really have a player for that position if, as appears to be the case, Xavi now doesn't have very much faith in Serginho Dest. Mm. Uh, and that does appear to be the case. Now, for what it's worth, of course, Serginho Dest is going to be a better athlete than, than Danny Alves. And there are a couple of times where Alves at the weekend, I felt, <sighs> looked a little bit like he is the age he yeah. is. Yeah, um, and yeah. maybe up against Vinicius, for example, uh, that's not an entirely fair fight. But, you know, Danny has always been clever like that as a defender. Mm-hmm. Even when he wasn't at his physical best, he's always been clever. He used to defend. And this is one of the great myths that always used to annoy me. Danny Alves can't defend. No, no, Danny Alves has a tactical role 
that involves other elements of the game. When you ask him to defend one on one with Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, he was invariably pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's by the by. Uh, but yeah, he, I think he is going to turn out to be useful. I thought, for what it's worth, that this whole performance from Barcelona was really not very good, though. It wasn't, was it? No, I mean it was just, it was just sort of a nothingness. I keep hearing people desperate to see things in this Xavi team and okay they're, they're, they're to be fair things. I have in some games yeah. I didn't in this one but I have in some games but in this one to be honest with you I didn't in global though as a whole I don't know there's still a, it's still a work in progress obviously Luke de Jong though is someone who's proving to be useful match winner last weekend against Mallorca scored the the goal against Granada as well this weekend is he going to be there come the end of the month I suppose it depends on whether anyone wants him that he wants to go to because I think Barcelona would still take the uh, the option of moving him on if they could. Uh, and of course, bear in mind that he belongs to Sevilla. So any kind of move now is, is complicated by that fact. Mm-hmm. And this performance was very much like last week, by the way. There's almost one outrageous goal. Last week it was an overhead yes. kick. This week it's a kind of a backheel volley thing. I don't know what you call it. Espuela, they always call it in Spanish. Yeah, it's not really a backheel as Olivier such. Giroud scored brilliantly. Yeah, yeah, a bit like a Giroud one. And then, of course, there's a goal disallowed with a header. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, you've got your two for the two that were posts last week. And then you've got the goal itself. Uh, I think he moves on if they find somewhere for him to go that he's happy with. I wonder if this last couple of weeks has made him more determined to stay because he will think, look, they might well want rid of me. But if I'm still there and I continue to be useful, I'm going to get minutes. And I'm going to get minutes at a club like Barcelona. So I suppose it depends on the quality of the team that comes for him. Good news for Barcelona. They're finally able to register Ferran Torres as well, who's going to be an incredibly useful and important player for them this season and in years to come as well. They've had to do it in a rather strange way, though. They've extended Samuel Umtiti's contract. You remember Samuel Umtiti? He's barely played this Mm. season. Probably not going to play much for the rest of this year or maybe in the current coming years as well. He's got a contract for another four years, but extending that contract has allowed them to register Ferran. Why? Right. Well, I, I think we talked about this the other day in the context of Dembélé. When we talked about how curious it was that Xavi had made that remark about how if Dembélé renews, it enables us to sign a player or two players. Yes. And we were thinking, well, hang on a minute, how does the renewal of a player, rather than the offloading of a player, help you to sign someone? Because, of course, it enables you to backload some of the payment. So, in other words, we give you on a longer contract. We can maybe backload your pace. You make you have an increasing salary over the, over the years of your contract. And perhaps some of your existing salary gets spread across that contract now. Plus, as, as Sam Marsden pointed out um, on Twitter the other day when we were talking about this and he, and he was right it was the it was the element that I'd missed out of the analysis mm-hmm. of Dembélé which is the amortization of the player's salary which can then be spread over the remaining years of his contract so in other words if you've got let's say for argument's sake a 100 million euro player over 5 years and he's in his last year you've got 20 20 sorry 20 million still to still, still to account for if you can expand his contract by 3 years you can spread that 20 million over those 3 years so obviously by definition your limit now it's benefited by that because no longer 20 in this year. It's what would it be? It would be kind of seven, just under seven for this year. Uh, I don't know. I must admit if Samalum Titi has any amortizations still outstanding on his Barcelona signing, I presume he probably does. And I don't know how much it would be because I can't remember what he costs, which is remiss of me. So apologies for that. I can, I can look it up for you in a minute. Um, but 
what this suggests and what we've been told, and obviously you'd have to see the small print on this because it doesn't entirely uh, convince, is that basically he's effectively agreed to earn the same amount he was going to earn, but earn it over the next four years instead of over the next one year. Uh, Umtiti, by the way, costs 25 million. So actually any amortisation wouldn't be that high now anyway. Um, so so you, the, the idea is that now, let's say for argument's sake, he was due to make 10 million over this final year. There's going to be four years now of the deal, so you can spread it across those four years. So it's two and a half million for each of those seasons, which again means that in terms of immediately fixing the problem, you can fit with financial fair play now. Obviously, you'll have all spotted the big problem with this, which is you're still spending that money that you haven't really got, but you're spreading yeah. it over time. And you're keeping a player that you didn't really want for a bit longer, albeit I have no doubt that if a deal comes in in the meantime, he will move on. And he's presumably accepted that if I move on, either I waive the years that left a contract or there's some sort of agreement to move on. Now, an agent messaged me this afternoon and said to me, this doesn't make any sense. Why on earth would Umtiti do this? when you could have the cash up front now and leave for free. And it makes me think that there must be some sort of deal which long-term means it's better for, for Umtiti in to, to, to allow this from Barcelona. Or maybe he's just been told, look, this is the only way you get a long-term deal for now. It gives you a certain degree of security, albeit at a club where you're probably not going to play very much. Um, and we'll let you move on if something comes in the meantime. Well, obviously we'll let you move on because we want you to. And then maybe is there just a sort of a sense of, okay, I realise the situation is really bad. I don't want to leave on bad terms. I want to try and fix a relationship a bit. And maybe like all athletes, like all athletes, maybe he still clings to the idea that, you know, given a chance, I could still be good. It could still work. How do you, from an athlete point of view, how do you let go of being what you once were? At what point do you go, I'm not that player anymore? Yeah, you, you, know, you, you tell us, how to... did you deal with it? <laughs> well, well, the fact that my foot was facing the wrong way was a pretty clear <laughs> sign that I couldn't play football, even to the crappy level I was at before. Um, so, so, I mean, it's, it's a very difficult situation for an athlete. That. Yes. And so, so at what point do you say, actually, okay, right, I buy the bullet now? And how do you deal with that decline? Because, of course... It's natural, I think, to cling on to the idea that maybe I could be useful for Barcelona rather than say, for argument's sake, I'm just throwing a name out there. I, you know, I literally am making this up. Rather than, for argument's sake, going to, I don't know, Everton, you know, and sort of bumbling along at Everton. And then perhaps actually that just accelerates the decline rather than stopping it. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a tricky one. Uh, if we have not said or not answered or not talked about something that you want us to, Send us a question and we'll do it on the Q&A pod uh, tomorrow. We do answer every single question, uh, almost always. So, yeah, get involved uh, on the Q&A pod. Let's move on and talk about uh, Villarreal 2, Atletico Madrid 2. A a really, really fantastic game, particularly the first half. Tempo dropped a little bit in the second half, but the first 45 minutes, hugely entertaining. Ángel Correa opening the scoring for Atletico Madrid with the goal of the season, basically from the halfway line. And it was very interesting um, because he spotted Geronimo Rulli off his line and Diego Simeone subsequently confessed that, yeah, I told I told the guys that he is a goalkeeper that is often off his line. So for them to look up and, and have a go, and that's exactly what Correa did in, in spectacular fashion. Atleti, though, in that first half were not good. They were playing 4-4-2. They ended the first half with 31% possession, incredibly low, and Villarreal were well on top. Second half, Atletico changed things up a little bit. They changed the formation, went to the 3-5-2, and, and looked much more dangerous, Sid. 
Yeah, um, so the change was on 60 minutes and I actually had a look at the stats at that point. Villarreal were leading 10-2 in shots at that point and 66% of the ball. And they had been comfortably the better side. Atletico responded and I thought were much, much better when they made that change, when they meant to, went to to three at the back. Who was it? It was Vasalico, Jao Felix and Coque, wasn't it, that came on? And it meant Llorente and Carrasco having much more freedom to go up the wings with the extra central defender, which was Vasalico, who theoretically is a right back but I think has actually played better as a kind of a right centre-back, right of a three, rather than right of a four. Um, and they got hold of the ball a lot more and they were much, much better. And, and I thought Jal Felix looked quite dangerous and, and they, they just took a bit of control of the game. That said, they lost it again in the last 10 minutes, didn't they? Mm. Villarreal came back into it in those last 10 minutes. Um, and Villarreal, I think it was Al- Raul Albiol and, and I think Moreno as well, both talked about that change. They were very conscious that, that it had shifted things. Which I think tells you something, by the way, about about a kind of like the the thought process of of, of the two teams, mm. and certainly the thought process of Villarreal. They're a very very well worked team, and so it's not just you know the normal thing of all they, they you know they became a bit more aggressive. It's that you know could actually see the structure shifting and, and how this affects them. Um, I, I think Villarreal looked really really good for about an hour. Um, Dermot Corrigan made this point. Um, friend of the pod on, on, on Twitter last night that, that Villarreal have dominated Atleti twice Manchester United twice um, was it Real Madrid at the Bernabeu and someone else and not one Barcelona any of them. at home I, as well that's that Barcelona at home I mean I've got a bit of bit of discrepancy I, I, I'm not sure they did actually dominate Atletico Madrid at, at the Wanda but it is true that Atletico only won it only equalised with a total fluke home goal in the last minute uh, but I don't think they actually dominated but certainly the performances we're seeing um, you know, each of those are, are limited though. So the Bernabeu game was two halves. Really good going for Madrid in the first half and then containing Madrid in the second half. Manchester United was 70 minutes basically in both games. Really good for 70 minutes in both games and then took a sort of a slight step back. I don't think you can accuse them of that of last of them of that last night, but there is that slight doubt still. But I tell you what, over the last four or five weeks, they're really starting to find their stride now, Villarreal. I think the, the return of Gerard Moreno obviously is a big part of that. Um, but the player that really stood out was the other Moreno last night. Alberto. Alberto Moreno. We were trying to work out where he played. And actually, someone did ask um, Unai Emery after the game. I was quite pleased about that. And he said that we've been trying to get him further forward, to play him in more as an interior than as a, than as a left winger. So it looks like they're doubling up with left backs, with him and, and, and Purvis. And then, of course, Pedraza came on later on. But actually, it's, it's a way of saying to Moreno, right, you be there as the kind of backup left back. But you've also, you can, you can have the freedom to go right through the middle and be almost at the very top of the pitch a lot of the time. It was very interesting to see uh, where Moreno was, uh, was playing. And obviously he scored the second goal for Villarreal as well. So yeah. uh, very, very important for the yellow submarine. Um, let's move on and talk about a game that you were at, uh, Rio against Betis as well. We, we thought this was going to be rock and roll football. And, well, it was... Conditioned by a sending off, wasn't it? Betis yeah. had Alex Moreno um, shown a, a red card, a, a straight red uh, in the first half for kicking Isi Palazón's head. Um, that sounds bad. It looked bad as well when his head was wide open, cut open, and there was blood everywhere. He, he's completely bald, Isi Palazón, as well. So that made it even worse. The blood was streaming all over his, uh, his skull. But then if you see the replay, he stoops... Yeah. Very low. Obviously, there is contact. Alex Moreno isn't looking at it. Anyway, I'm conscious of the fact that we're talking about a refereeing decision. But this one uh, did very much condition the game. Alex Moreno sent off. Bet is very, very, very unhappy about that decision. But they managed to take the lead, Betis, even when they were down to 10 men just before 
uh, half time a really nicely worked goal finished off by uh, Sergio Canales and and Rio struggled to, to to find their way back into the game. They 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 did eventually, and then they equalised. And then Betis was certainly hanging on. But how did you how did you see the game in the stadium? Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that's interesting, by the way, about the card is the referee had the yellow card in his hand. He did literally did. This at, is a referee, at, by at, the way, it was his first ever game in La Liga. I must admit, I hadn't realised yeah. that. Okay, I hadn't realised that. And I genuinely think, although it's possible that he was told something by the linesman that he goes from yellow to red when he sees the blood. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think the, the, the head was so low that I think it's really... It, look, the bottom line is he still kicks someone in the head. Yeah. So in that sense, it's a foul. But the, the idea that it was somehow outrageous, it just isn't. It really isn't. I think, I think the, you know, the head is low. I think he swings. I think he gets it wrong. I think the timing is, is, is a little bit bad. But it's not like the foot was ludicrously high. Um, and so I think I think Moreno is a little bit unlucky. I think it did condition the game. I think actually, funny enough, afterwards, Antonio Arola said something quite interesting that, that about the goal that Betis scored when when they were down to ten men, and he said he said that he felt that his team. Yes. You know, bear in mind the context of this is this is a team that does everything fast, that goes at you, that's breakneck, that that's rock and roll as you've already described it. That kind of the idea of being really really direct. He said that when they went down to 10 men, he said, I, I had the feeling that the players sort of felt an urgency to be too quick, to resolve it too quickly. Right, it's 10 men, let's go, let's do this. And they actually got caught with too many players up the pitch, with no one really on in the left-back position. Uh, actually, the right-back position fairly exposed as well. A nice pass from Teo, and then brilliantly worked by Canalis, who's the one who controls it, opens the pitch out, and then drifts back to the other post. And Bellerin is super fast on the right and, and pulls it back. It's a really, really nice goal. Really nicely done. Um, and and Betis, are a, you know, Betis are a really good team. After the game, Manuel Pellegrini also complained about the pitch. Um, he, which, by the way, I'm not saying he's wrong. He's probably right. He said the pitch is, is terrible. It's in really bad condition. And he said, and this, this is a, his phrase was, this is a lack of respect to the league and to the spectacle. Now, the only problem with that theory is it's been great at really Vallecas ha- this season. Exactly. Not about that's, the whole, that's the whole point. Uh, and, and, you know, Andoni Adala was asked this, and I thought he was quite classy about it. He said, look, you know, we don't want this pitch like this either. It's been worse. He says, actually, better than it has been. <laughs> we don't want it like this. We would prefer it to be in better condition, but it is what it is. Um, and he then didn't say the thing that you've said, but is exactly the point. I uh, totally agree with you. What do you mean this is against the spectacle? There is no better place to watch football right now than Vallecas. Yeah. And this was a really fun game as well because, as you say, although Betis took control, Rayo for the last 20 minutes really rolled out. Oh, yes. And they were coming from everywhere. They were. And, and they were really unlucky not to win it in the end. They were. They were. Uh, but the unbeaten run continues and I think, you know, uh, being well into the uh, second half of the season and being unbeaten at home is beyond all Raistas' uh, possible wildest dreams. So uh, still doing pretty well. Um, I'm conscious of time. So I'm not necessarily going to ask you about Levante because I know you've written okay. about them today. Yeah. So everybody yeah. go and read Sid's article instead. <laughs> go onto the Guardian website and read Sid's article uh, about about Levante. Uh, first win in nine long months. Uh, before we go, the Segunda División uh, leaders Almeria drew 1-1 at Las Palmas on Sunday. Valladolid, the second, they beat Burgos 1-0, although Eibar are a point behind them. And they play at Oviedo this evening. The biggest result yes. of the weekend was Paco Jemez's Ibiza beating Alcorcón 6-2. Hashtag Paco Jemez effect. 
Oh, I love it. Chemeth is back. It's going to be so much fun, isn't it? It would be extraordinary if we managed to, to, to do something impressive with, uh, with Ibiza. Uh, this week, we've got the Spanish Super Cup in Saudi Arabia. Yes. Raul Garcia has been speaking about this. And uh, before we go, tell us what Raul Garcia said, because I think he's echoed a lot of people's sentiments. He's essentially said um, that he's not happy with the fact that it's in Saudi Arabia. He, I thought, was careful about how he said it. He didn't, you know, he didn't sort of, he didn't rant directly about Saudi Arabia itself. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't him talking about the regime or him talking about the country or him talking about the culture or anything like that. It was him just talking about, I think, the, the, the concept of taking the Super Cup out of Spain to Saudi Arabia, but not necessarily that it was to Saudi Arabia. And he was careful about how he said it in that he said, you know, I, I, maybe I'm a bit old fashioned. He said, but, but it feels like we've forgotten what football was and, and about bringing it close to the people who are the, the, the fans who, who go every week uh, and so on. And I am sure, I have absolutely no doubt that people will say, well, you're a hypocrite because, you know, you make good salaries because of precisely the things that he was talking about. He says, he says something along the lines of it feels now like we're more interested in, in the sponsors and the generation of money than, than, than the going to the game and the being at the game and, the, and, 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 you know, sort of what football kind of was. And people will say, you know, that well, you're a hypocrite because you make lots of money because precisely because of all this money that's going into the game. And of course, that is true up to a point, but I don't actually buy that argument because just because he benefits from it doesn't mean that he's not entitled to say, I would prefer it the other way, that he's not entitled to say, look, we've got to care a little bit more about the fans who are in, in his case, in Bilbao or, or in Barcelona or in Madrid or who's the other team there? Uh, Atleti. Atletico Madrid or Barcelona or Madrid. Uh, for a minute there, like, who's the other team? Um, and so I think he's still entitled to say that. I mean, it's a little bit like that, that, that sort of silly cartoon where it does rounds every now and again on social media and so, stuff where it says something, someone says, I dislike this ha- thing that's happening in, in society. Another person goes, and yet you live in society. Mm, interesting. And exactly, it's not, the, it's not the decisive argument that people think it is to say, but you benefit from this. Yes, but just because you benefit from something doesn't mean you can't want it to change. In fact, you could almost argue that makes the complaint even purer because you're effectively saying, this is good for me economically, but I'd still rather it wasn't this way. It is taking place in Saudi Arabia this year and for the next few years as well. We've got a Clásico on Wednesday, Barcelona taking on Real Madrid in the semi-final and then on Thursday, Athletic Club against Atletico Madrid to see who meets in the weekend's final to claim the first piece of silverware of the season. Uh, we've also got Copa del Rey action as well uh, this this weekend. There's a Seville derby in the last 16 in Seville as well. Betis taking on uh, Sevilla. So lots for us to talk about on our bonus pod, which will be coming up on Friday at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Q&A pod out tomorrow. Come and join us for those. And if you don't, don't worry. We'll be back here next Monday, as always. Adios. Cheerio. Network.